Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Uh, today I'll be here myself. Uh, the only person I'm scared of in 20 schemes, it's uh, Shabba. How are you doing, Shabs? That's a terrible thing to say about somebody, that you're scared of me. <laughs> <laughs> we both know that's no true. <laughs> well, the only person after my wife I'm scared of. <laughs> the only reason you're scared is because I'll grass you up to your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great, Shabba. Uh, it's great to have you on. It's great to chat with you. Can you just explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? And so I am um, Sharon Dickens, or Shabba, as everybody calls me. I'm Director of Women's Ministry for 20 Schemes. And so primarily my job is to um, disciple, train, mentor the, the women's workers at 20 Schemes. And so like that's my, my, my basic def, like, job definition. But I, I, I do train and mentor other women other than 20 Schemes women. Mm. So we have uh, uh, developed a course, um, we have a framework for our mentorship, and so our idea is to invest in those that are investing in others. Right. Well, Ada just described you as an international speaker, <laughs> conference speaker, author. <laughs> Gobby Pearson, she's yeah. not afraid to say something. Pioneer. <laughs> Look, I've told you already, I'm not going to grass you up to your wife. You have to keep you up. Yeah, but you, you are, you, you, you've, you've wrote a few books. Uh, I'll get told Bye. off because I should have said written or something. But uh, uh, you've wrote a few books. You are, you are an international conference speaker. You uh, go beyond Scotland. Uh, the, the oracle and all things to do with... <laughs> Why do you have to say these things? It's freaking me out. I'm like, yeah. oh no, what if he asks me a hard question? Yeah, no, but it's good, it's good isn't it? So often it, there's been a lot on Christian social media recently uh, about finding your voice, about a lot of women not giving a platform to to share and, and, and be used and, and have their gifts seen and flourished and encouraged. And... Uh, like for me, that is a bit alien from the context that we're working with because there's so many gifted women I know who are uh, having their voices heard. Uh, so what I'm trying to get at within this podcast today is what is it like? Have you always had this freedom to develop your gifts and this encouragement? Uh, or were you ever stifled? Do you understand what a lot of these people are saying on social media at the moment? I do. Um, so in the early days, I've been saved a long time. Um like, I don't know, 30-something years. Um, and in the very beginning, I was saved in, like, a really small mission hole um, where it never occurred to me that, like, God, I didn't save you for a purpose. Like, you were there to serve because there was room to serve. And then when I grew up a little, it wasn't even, like, massively, like, and then started travelling, I realised pretty quickly two things um, I didn't fit in because square peg round hole like in middle-class context, it was really frustrating because people would say things. So you'd find places to serve and I would be on like a committee at church where we were doing stuff and you would say something and some some middle-class guy behind you would go, what Sharon meant to say was. And you think, I'm an intelligent woman, like I'm degree educated. I'm pretty sure I can articulate for myself. But also in a lot of times they... The, the opportunities to serve didn't really fit my gift setting. Mm. Like I wanted to do more than make cups of tea. Um, I've served in children's ministry 
when my kids were little because I would take my kids along with me, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So I have been in churches where I've tried to speak to an elder and he's like literally done the, you know, when they look at you like you're, they're feared and they start, he actually like physically ran away. And so, I mean, it's a true story. Like, I mean, I wasn't even asking a hard question. I think they, there's this assumption that like, because you're strong and you're feisty, that actually you must be rebellious. Therefore, like you were going to be a problem when you really weren't. And so for a long, lot of times, it felt like you were sitting, stifled's not the right word, just underused and frustrated. Like, so even if you didn't have a voice, there was nothing to do. And so I found the easiest way to deal with that was to go do things elsewhere. I think that's why a lot of women go and join parachurches, like, you know, organisations, because there's opportunity to serve where, like, they've been given as a gift to the church and the church are using them. And so I worked for a long time in like what we would call second tier organisations, some Christians, some not, and I'd serve that way. But I sat in my pew like for a long time, really frustrated. And I've got a couple of friends who are ministers and they would say, um, come oh, as we'll use you. And, but you, it's difficult because you knew where you're supposed to be. So I knew I was supposed to be in the dry. Mm. Um, and then waiting for a long time, um, no able to um, like serve you thinking there's opportunities out there why don't why don't I just go and take them so there was that battle and then even like I mean it took I think six months after Mez came so he came in the September and by October he was talking to me about the stuff that I was doing and then by April the next year the church were employing me and so he clearly saw something I don't know what <laughs> but it felt like a long time you were waiting for something to happen like just sitting there treading water frustrated and so I do think that's why a lot of us do all go and do this all the other like the parachurch stuff because they're desperate for people to serve mm-hmm. and in your own church and in your own context sometimes you're not seen as a a provision or a gift to the church you're just underutilized which is a shame considering half the congregation and more are women yeah so yeah stifled is maybe not a word i would have used but yeah definitely frustrated and underused so you said you knew you had to be in nidri you felt that's where you were you were called to be uh, do you think if Mez hadn't came as the pastor and you'd been employed, there'd have been a time where you, you left? Uh, or if not, what, what was keeping you there, even though you felt frustrated and underused? Um, I think if he didn't come, there probably would have been a time where I asked God if I like, so I asked God a lot if I could leave. So I would pray about it quite regularly. And I'm not, I know that there's times where God's using the waiting to teach us something. Mm. And so, but I mean, you can use all these fancy words that people do, like pushing doors. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, there was no point going anywhere unless the Lord was in it. Yeah. And I'd known from the very beginning, like, um, I'd been in, so the weird thing with Nidri is, I'd been in Nidri when I first got saved. Mm-hmm. And so I was part of, um, I suppose what you'd call it is a bit like an internship, like our internship, but at Edinburgh City Mission. Right. Because I'd got saved at one of their their other mission halls, there was few places for me to serve, and they put me in the tree. And so there was a, a background um, for for me being in the. I'd been there a long time, hmm. 
And I remember um, when we came back to Edinburgh, I didn't want to be, I didn't, I, I wanted to be anonymous and sit in a pew. I managed that about six months. <laughs> like, and then I, even I was getting frustrated. And I, I, so I couldn't deny how I got to Nidri because I knew I was supposed to. I'd been at a Charlotte Chapel sermon when the current pastor was speaking there and I'd been really convicted about where God wanted me to go. And I mean, I, I genuinely was. Um, and I, I was really rebellious. I didn't want to go back because of the history. And I remember getting really frustrated at God and saying, because um, we were without a building at that time, saying to God, if you want me to go, then you need to clearly show me how I'm supposed to get there. Because I didn't even know where they're worshipping. And then I got on the bus to go to work that morning and ended up sitting next to a woman that had been in Nidri for like 30 years. that hadn't seen for ages. And she told me to go. And so when you've got that, like on Sunday, she had her husband waiting on me, like so that when I got there, I, I knew somebody. So for me, there was no doubt that God had wanted me there, but I couldn't work out why. And so being so clear, I would it would have taken, like, I, would have, I wouldn't have gone unless, unless, unless it was right. Mm. Um, so I would uh, I was there for obvious reasons. I just needed to work out what the obvious reasons were. Mm. And that took me a long time. So I think at some point I would have gone. Um, I'm going to have to plug myself in. Um, at some point I would have gone, but I think what I wouldn't have gone unless I had clear direction. Yeah. So I learned a lot in the waiting, though. Like, I'm not the most patient of people. Uh, like five years is a long time to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I learned a lot about. I mean, I was even more gobby before Mez met me. <laughs> so, so yeah, we'd have probably left, but it would have taken God to move me. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we need to remember God's providence in this. That that God uses these frustrations to 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 grow us and develop us, but it still doesn't discount the fact that. The church was failing to to utilize a, a gifted Christian for that mission, and uh, the concern for me is how many people in our churches are sat on the pews, uh, men and women who who, yeah, who are being overlooked for gospel ministry, and and, and it, it's just a sad sad thing to see when we are in our a small tiny church in Middlesbrough are desperate for gifted yeah. people to come and serve, and there's so many people being overlooked in their community, so. Was there ever a point where you thought, oh, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Shall I just remain anonymous on a pew? Um, No, yeah. I mean, I would really like to. Do you know that? um, It's that moment where, I mean, you must have had this here, where you want to go and work at Tesco's because it's easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we have these holiday churches you go to that you visit when you're having a break from where you're at. And it would be nice to sit in a pew for five minutes, but that's like, it's not, it would be five minutes. Mm. Like God saved us for a purpose. And if we, like, if we're truly, if we're truly saved, like then we've got, like we've been saved to glorify him and all that we do. And part of that is the way that we serve him. Mm. And so, I mean, if we're, if you are sitting on a, if I, I couldn't, I'd last five minutes. I couldn't just sit in a pew and listen to a sermon and not actually be impacted by it. Yeah. So I don't think any of us like have got a call to just sit there and tread water, mm. like as Christians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> although at times it does sound appealing. 
<laughs> you'd be bored for five minutes as well. Yeah, like the last five minutes and you're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. So so what we've done, we, we had years of frustration. We had years of feeling underused. And then you've had years of being overworked. So <laughs> what was that transition what's, like? I want some ballads. <laughs> um, yeah, I want some ballads. I always say that. There's the lies you tell yourself for ministry. Yeah. Just keep going until the holidays. Yeah. Like you tell yourself, when I get more staff, it's going to be like amazing. And actually what happens is more staff just brings more issues. Like, so not, there's never, always, always overworked. Yeah. You know so, that. Yeah. But you, you've, you've done like remarkable, really, not just for Nidri, but throughout the world, you've been a great encouraging, encouragement to my wife. Uh, and many other gospel female gospel workers. So what what was the difficulties then? From you knew you were gifted, you knew you had uh, something to to give to the church, to the community, and to Jesus. Now you're given this opportunity. What fears came? Because it's a bit different. Like I, when I was at boxing, I, I didn't want to spar. I sorry, I didn't want to be on the bags. I wanted to spar. I want to get in the ring and spar. Then as soon as I was allowed in the ring to spar, I was like, oh, I'm getting hit now. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't as good as what I thought it was going to be. Well, that that probably a bit busy to see me all the time. Those tinted glasses, God now, yeah. And <laughs> um, probably three things. My first thing would be I constantly, probably for about the first decade, compared myself to what I think the elder should have picked as a women's worker. Mm. It took me a long time to that penny to draw. Um, that I was there for a reason. Fear a man, like so. That was massive. So the whole suddenly people that are part of your congregation were paying your wages. You felt like you had to like work super hard um, and then some just to prove that you weren't slacking. Um, what else was that's probably the two things. And then like, um, what what was really hard? Do you know, I think one of the hardest things um, <clears throat> was. One of the hardest things in the beginning was I'd been part of this fellowship for such a long time and you think that you had really close friends. Mm. Um, and then suddenly you're in this inside track where they think you've got a beeline to the to the elders and you know stuff. Um, and some of it is true, you do know stuff. And so a lot of the friendships that I would have had in the beginning were very different. Mm. So just that instantly changed it at church. Like there's probably a, just a few maybe even just one friendship that I had before I started working at church that I've still got that's the same, that's maintained, yeah. which is quite sad, really, when you think about it. So it doesn't mean I'm not friends with them, because I am obviously friends with people at church, but it's different, because when you're doing pastoral stuff, you obviously can't talk about things to people. Yeah. Um, and then they look at you thinking, do you know everything? And you're like, no, I didn't, honest. Yeah. So probably those three things, like... Fear of man was probably the biggest thing, what you think everybody's thinking. Mm. And in comparison, even though you say, you you obviously realised you were gifted, I never really did. Right. Um, so I never, I always just assumed Mez picked me because I was the only one that say, would say yes. <laughs> um, and you laugh at that because you were saying, well, we were talking about this before you started recording about how many times you would ask women to do stuff and they say no. Yeah. Um, and I always just assume that Mess kept asking me to do stuff, not because he saw something that was gifted, but because I actually went, I don't know then. Yeah. 
Um, and so it took me a long time to realise that that's not the reason why I was doing my job. Yeah. It's a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah, so that's nice to speak with somebody with humility. It wasn't the same for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, well, I'm totally gifted. Take it yeah, all the yeah. world. Why can't anyone say I'm the best man for the job? <laughs> no, I knew I wasn't the best for the job at all. Yeah. Well, obviously you were. Obviously you were because you're still there now. And mm-hmm. and again, I think that's something you mentioned there, wasn't it? That how much was humility, how much was not being given the opportunity and how much was just like self-doubt and insecurity thinking that? Because you mentioned you were always comparing yourself to other people. Uh, why was that? Why, why do you think that was? Because you have this idea in your head of who would make this. So I think about this a lot, actually. We talk about, we, mostly because we did this in our, our course, and so I had to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's because we have this idealistic picture of what a woman, a Christian woman should be. Mm. And so, and I do not fit on that idealistic, like, I, when you look at me, you don't go, it's... What I mean is from a cultural Christian perspective, mm. like I'm not, um, we have, especially for skin folk, I think we have this idea that gentle means like cucumber sandwiches and being a doormat, um, like, and never having a voice or speaking out or being like gobby. So we have this idea of she's, she's not feisty, she's meek. Like so, this idea of who that is, and um, this this picture of what a godly woman is, which isn't biblical, it's cultural. Like, um, and so I didn't fit that. Like, screw yeah. playground hole. Like, um, that so in my head, even though I knew it wasn't a biblical image, it's what's portrayed as, and it's what people think as. Mm-hmm. And so I know that when Mez employed me, like he got a lot of pushback for taking the gobby feisty independent divorced woman who's got like a single parent I mean she's not exactly the poster model for like godly women and on, on the surface and so I know that he got a lot of flack for that and I mean people would say well you obviously can't speak into my life because you're not married mm. and I'm like well I think you'll find the bible's the one that's speaking <laughs> and I can't say that so it's that I did I did have that compare myself because I, even in my own head I didn't live up to that that fake picture of what a godly woman is like i'd i'd not had an uncomplicated life yeah so do you think you had the the added burden of not only being a a a woman who was would have been underused regardless of a background it was also your your cultural background that kind of it was like kind of too wars you were fighting it was yeah the fact that you were a, a female gospel worker but yeah. also because you come from a skate background or you're divorced and... well, yeah there's all that I mean you're you're a woman for a start in a man's world like the yeah. um and and you're right uh, culturally uh, it's really weird I spent a lot of my time in the Christian world not feeling feeling out of place because mm. I don't really understand middle-class suburbia you know when they talk for about 20 minutes but say nothing <laughs> And you know when you're like... Like, like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, no, I'm on about me, not you, Sharon. Like that, um, that, you know, in that whole passive-aggressive, like, yeah. the, we just, I mean, if somebody asks you a question, you're like, answer it. Mm. I, I find, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't work it out. I, I, I find, I, the whole time I felt confused. And I'd been in church plants that were in what would be classed as schemes. 
Yeah. They were predominantly like middle-class people and I didn't understand the culture. So I felt very out of place. So yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things. Mm. It wasn't just because like I was, yeah, probably a lot of things playing into that why it's different. Yeah. And again, did you feel, sorry, did you find any pushback from other women in the church? I know you mentioned about relationships being different, but was there any pushback about uh, women who thought women shouldn't be in ministry? Um, no. I think the pushback we would have got was what type of ministry it was. Right. So again, like, um, we didn't, the, the ministry that we've got, so women's ministry culturally, whatever part of the world you're in, I've seen this, is very much um, events driven by someone that's driving that. So the women's worker drives a bunch of events, people come and they all hang out together. And so I, we, I, did, we, I didn't do that because it didn't, it's, it's not culturally where I come from. So when we set up our women's ministry, it's discipleship and relationship based, which is very different. But that's how our culture functions. So everything that we do is based on that foundation. And so from, from our new Christians, from the like our new convert Christians from the schemes, they never thought that weird, but we did get a lot of pushback on our discipleship culture from existing church. Yeah. So it was more about the pushback I got was more for the way the ministry was run rather than they thought like, they thought having a women's worker was great. Yeah. Well, nobody said it to my face. <laughs> <laughs> they might have thought it was rubbish, but they never said it to my face. Yeah, uh, it's <clears throat> it's something that fascinates me because, again, the church I went to when I was first saved didn't have a pastor. Uh, the person who discipled me was female. Uh, she shared the gospel with me. I'd known her since I was a kid. And all the the people on the council estate who loved Jesus, who shared the gospel, were, were females. None of, oh, actually, tell a lie. One woman, she was the church evangelist, but there was no pastor. But the majority of... Of, of people in the community who were Christians were female and definitely yeah. the only people who shared the gospel in the community were, were female. So, yeah, it's just unique to me to, 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 to hear just culturally so differently. Again, I was raised by a single parent. I married a single parent. I've seen the gifts of women and uh, the, 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 the strength and the... Uh, ease at which a lot of women build relationships in our context so it was like it's just second it was not never anything I thought about about having women working in fact the charity that I first set up in the church I planted was alongside my wife and maybe he's, probably my danger was being too egalitarian rather than <laughs> strict complementarian so this is something that fascinates me mm. uh, like within the church um, so so what happens next then you, you, you're you working as a, a woman's work in a tiny little church in Nidri, and the next minute you're, you're flying out to the States to... It's to, a fucking scary thing, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it wasn't the instant. I mean, it feels like it's instant. Yeah. Um. So the things that... It's, what makes me sad is that they'll fly me all over the world to speak about women's ministry, but nobody in Scotland... Well, few people in Scotland would invite me. There are some really amazing um, wee groups out there. There's a wee group up in Harris that always invite me and Lewis. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird. Like it's 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 more what's it's, it's harder in the UK than it is abroad. 
And so, the first so, time, go, go for it. Sorry. So I thought it would have been the opposite way. I thought the pushback would have been greater in America than no. in the UK. Because to me, it and, seems natural. So, so in the UK, most of the time in the UK, like when we go, so we went to the FIEC conference a couple of years ago. It must have been like five, six years ago. It was amazing. And Mez was supposed to do three sessions in the mornings. And he gave me and Andy a session each. And my last session was on women's ministry. Mm. And I spoke for an hour. And it was the last session of the last day before they were all going home. And they queued for a half, an hour and a half afterwards to ask me questions. Yeah. And it's nuts. And so when we did that big thing in London, uh, mind we went and we did that big 829 thing. Mm. Um, and, and it was the same. They put me on before lunch and we had an hour for lunch. And it Five minutes before the lunch break was over, the last person in the queue, like, asked me a question. So they queue for a long time to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Because they're most, and mostly what we get in the UK, and we get this, actually, everywhere I go, this is what happens. They are desperate to do something. They just didn't know how to do it well. Yeah. And so when we go to the States, in the very beginning, they, it was just, you're going to a bunch of, like, you're doing women's conferences, talking about women's ministry and discipleship. And everybody would say things like, oh, I desperately want to do stuff like that. Mm. And so that that was different. Now when I do a big platform, like um, it's the same thing, whether it's the small group for like 50 people or um, there's 600 or 6,000. When I when I do the, the, the queue and ask me the same questions. Mm. So whether you're in the States or Canada or like, in some random part of like, where do we go with the FIC then somewhere south in the UK? They all say the same thing. We desperately want to do this. We just don't know how. Mm. And how do you do this well in a complementarian context without becoming independent? Yeah. Like, and then they say, can you train our women? And I'm like, sometimes I say, I all right then. And sometimes I say, no, I really can't, but I can give you some resources. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, wherever we go, it's the same. But the platform never started with the big things. It all started with like 30 people in. Well, you can watch like 30 people in the room <laughs> asking you a bunch of questions. Yeah. Uh, so, again, there's, there's having given somebody a slot to, to chat about women's ministry and saying we want to do something. And maybe, maybe he's even doing something, having the women's worker. But how do you avoid uh, tokenism? Uh, how do you avoid, uh, well, not, not so much how do you avoid tokenism. Yeah, two questions. How do you avoid tokenism? And how do you encourage uh, like godly relationship and learning between men and women within the church? Mm-hmm. So it's like a kind of mutual thing. How can we learn from one another and not just have you making cups of tea? Um, <laughs> why do you never ask easy questions? <laughs> we had a rule. <laughs> I think our elders did it well. Like so, um, I was thinking about this recently because I just this is I just wrote a book about this how we did our women's ministry at Christmas. But one of the things I was reflecting on is how our elders did this well, and I think it was what was really interesting was our elders. Um, we would say they gave me enough rope to hang myself, but they didn't. Like what they did is they said, "This is we we want you to create a women's ministry." And then they had high expectations of what they wanted to. So it wasn't, they, they weren't tokenistic. They were just, they, they really saw and grasped and got the fact that actually 
um, we've been saved for a purpose and we have a fundamental part to play in a congregation. Mm. And so that was our starting point. And then there was some really difficult questions to ask, like what happens when or like what will it look like? And then we debated that for a long time. And so I would I, I reviewed all our, our, our women's or anything that was remotely classed as women's ministry. I reviewed it and I came up with a plan. And then I would have to go to the elders meeting on a Monday night and they would like bash it around, ask me questions. Have you thought about you need to go and think about this? Um, and they did that for a long time. So they asked some really hard questions before for over a year before we actually started really doing anything. So at the same time, we were, I was still like doing one-to-ones with people. So I would have done the standard as so everybody. But I think that was probably, that's the most significant thing, I think, is our elders. Mm. I don't think it's, um, I think our elders saw that we were valued, um, saw that we had a serious role to play, and then said, right, let's ask the hard questions and work out what that looks like in our context. Mm. And I think that's what when we when I go places and 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 go other they, all people see is a bunch of problems, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. There is a bunch of problems. There's questions you're going to have to answer, but you you need to start chewing the big stuff over, yeah. um, and it takes time. And so I think that's the, the most important thing. I think was our elders, mm. like if they'd not given it weight or had expect high expectations of what they expected or then we wouldn't have even remotely been the, the, the ministry that we are now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how gifted I, I mean, if I could have been superly, duperly gifted. Without them, it would have been useless. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was the most significant thing. Elders that had like a vision, high expectations, and weren't afraid to answer, answer the hard questions. Mm-hmm. And again, you, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful uh, not to offend you because you know me, but anyone who might be listening <laughs> who misinterprets what I'm saying. But again, where where do you stand? Where does your church stand on uh, women uh, discipling men, encouraging men? Is there a because obviously women, if if they're in a children's group, they're discipling young children, aren't they? So is there a cut off age, or or is there a mutual edification that we see within the church between men and women? Um, we were pretty clear in our context, mm-hmm. like, um, so people, so guys can speak, um, well and need to into my life. Mm-hmm. So like, well, you, you know that we've known each other for a long time, mm-hmm. but the ones who want us like really invest and be intimately involved in my life are, are women. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just because we run a women's ministry that's, um, like women disciple women and men disciple men doesn't mean that they haven't got something to say into another's life yeah, yeah. it just means that it's done within a framework that's wise and and safe mm-hmm. and so discipleship isn't about i mean even though we call it one-to-one i mean you know because uh, you do the same as us that like when you're bringing up a new believer there's not just one person that's speaking into that life um, if it's a female guys need to do that also and there's a lot of times where some of our young interns um, or even our older interns that are vaguely the same age as me and um, they'll ask me questions but I speak to them with a motherly tone and then send them back to their one-to-one yeah. so do it within a wise framework yeah I'm going to listen to you because I care about you 
but actually the one that really needs to invest in you is your, your one-to-one. So have you spoke to them and send them back? So I do, I don't have a problem with it being that way. Yeah. I, it's not, um, on paper, it might look like it's it's in isolation, but discipleship isn't. It's within a caring family church context. And so we're a body of believers um, all invested in each other's lives. So there's no real... It's, it's about what that investment looks like. In some cases, it's more intense than others, as, as it should be, I think. Yeah. This is pretty clear about who invests and grows up younger women. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that probably doesn't answer your question, but that's, that's what you're getting. <laughs> no, well, it, 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 it answers a couple of other questions and touches on the, the one I was talking about. And again, I think there's that fear, isn't there, of, uh, for me, what I was trying to tease out is, that fear of a woman having authority over a man within the church, uh, which, which fair enough, but where is the boundary between somewhat learning from one another and having authority over one another? It's, so I think I teach my girls this all the time. <clears throat> so we have young interns that are to, that that come in and they're five years old. Yeah. Sometimes they're five minutes old. Now, like in in the real worlds, they might be the same age as me. But we have this under, like, it's like this, it, it drives me nuts about as women, we whinge when guys won't step up and we but we expect that when they're saved that they instantly become the best leaders on the planet. Mm. That doesn't mean that, so um, it takes, so as a woman speaking into that situation, even though like I would be an older, more mature woman, if there's a guy that's been maybe put in charge of like a ministry like her cafe, um, like how I deal with that and how I like, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of submitting his authority because he's not my elder and he's not my husband, yeah. but like how you teach him, there's something in, there's something in how you deal with that, where the, the, the younger women around you watch how you interact. Yeah. Um, at the, the, you can teach the guy how to lead well by how you do that well. Yeah. Um, and there's so much that you can be brought to, to to bear in that situation just by speaking well and wisely. But that doesn't mean that I'm his one-to-one, but that doesn't mean as a motherly older woman in the faith, I didn't have something to to, to speak to the child. Because that's really what they are, baby Christians. And teach them how to lead women well and in a right and a, a, a really biblical way. We had this one incident where it was a really simple thing. We had a weekender and it was crazy because you've been to weekenders and I was serving food at the time where we, we used to do it at the, the, snook, the, the snooker table. And the, the guy that was running, the intern that was in charge, um, kicked off with me because I used the wrong ladle. Like, and Mahita was like, who the flipping heck do you think you are? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> well, come out of my mouth, Wes, I understand what you're saying. I'll make sure that I do it proper later. But like one of my girls turned around and said to me, why didn't you go mad at him? And I'm like, well, one, it wouldn't have been biblical, but two, you have to understand his situation. He's stressed. He's not dealing with the responsibility well. Like there was a ton of eyes watching, so they're watching how you respond to that. Now that didn't mean that three days later, like when we're in the car going to like Booker's, the, the, the thing I said to them, turned around and said to them, can we just talk about how you spoke to me about the other day there? Let's have a talk about that. And we had to talk about how it wasn't appropriate the way. And so again, it's that you got just got to do it well and wisely. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question anymore, Ian. The teasing out of words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it does. 
yeah, I think it was helpful because I think what it shows is everyone in the church should have humility towards uh, one another, should show grace, should show mercy, should uh, be encouraging. But uh, And I think that's the biggest problem. You talk a lot about wisdom, and I think that's where the failure in the church is. Not much common sense is used when, when looking at this type of ministry. If only we just looked at the Bible and used a bit of common sense, I think uh, the distinction between our roles would be a lot easier to manage. Would for you agree? Sure. Actually, for sure. We've not got any common sense, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of fear. And, and I think justified fear of not wanting to be unbiblical, but I think we, we shouldn't be ruled by fear and let that restrict oh, our ministries. That's very true. So, so that we have leaders, church leaders, who are fearful of, uh, of of making wrong calls with regarding women's ministry. What fears does somebody who's heading up a, a, a women's ministry have then? Millions, millions. If I do feel over, like overly responsible for everything, yeah. But I know that that's like part of that is my sinfulness. Um, you used the word trailblazer earlier. I didn't even know if that's the right word, but being one of the first things is always scary. Yeah. So you're scared that, and people quote you, that freaks me out. <laughs> like you said that a conf- you'll get an email going, you said at a conference this, yeah. like I just want to debate it. Or like I wrote a blog and they, like somebody emails me about it. And um like so the, the those things it's the biggest fear is I don't wanna you're fearful of fearful is like the right words, but in the wrong context. I don't want to be fearful to the point that it stops me doing anything. But like um I, I don't want to bring the Lord's name in vain. So I don't want to cause like I want to I don't want to diminish the gospel or say the wrong thing. Um, it's one of the things that worries me about being on a stage that I say something completely heretical. <laughs> and like, I'm like, oh, wait, rubbish just came out my mouth. So I'm fearful of that. Um, so when you get, when you start, that I find hard because you've got nobody to ask. Yeah. Like, so it's different now because we're 15 years in. But in the early days, when you're the only person doing this, you're like, there's nothing to, there's no benchmark. There's nothing to judge it off it. There's no one to go and say, I've got this really complex situation. How do you do that? Um, And so a lot of the times we were trying to work it out as we went along. So it was was difficult. But now we've got a a bit, there's a bit more of us out there. And so it's easier to ask what's worked in your context. So yeah, fearfully making a massive mistake and bringing um, like dishonor on God. Um, stuffing up the ministry and causing 20 schemes issues. I'm always like aware that I'm quite, because I am feisty and when I get annoyed, like my gob opens and it comes out. And I have seen Matthew, our American director, go red, as you know, you've said something. And so the feisty, so that, like you're fearful of like damaging the ministry in some way, shape or form. But more than anything, like, I mean, that, that verse, like, uh, when you're doing anything where there's like young Christians involved or you're discipling, you just don't want to be a bad witness. Yeah. You don't want to be a bad example. You don't want to be a bad witness. Like all those things that you wouldn't want to do, teach somebody something that's that's unhelpful, be an, unhelp, be an ungodly or an unhelpful witness. So there's loads to be scared of. Yeah. 
And then, like, if you just totally get it wrong and you make a mistake, like anybody else. So, yeah, when we were building our ministries, all those things, the big things were into play. Fearfully, you just got it wrong. Like, I've stopped listening to what people say. I doesn't. I, I don't mean that. What I mean is I've stopped listening or reading the comments that people make on things that are right. Yeah. So, you know, the blogs, I don't look at comments. Yeah. Um, I ask our guys not to send me them. Yeah. Um, I don't, they don't have my email so that people can't respond to me because I it, like it used to just crush me. Mm. People would say, Oh, what you said did this, and I'd be like, No, I can't, I can't cope with that. Yeah. Like, so in that sense, I'd, when it's all blogged in Twitter, I don't do Twitter, as you know, <laughs> you can slide me off what you like on Twitter, I'm not paying attention. So there's things that I've like I've had to do because those things I find difficult to listen to. But like, again, it'd be back to that. When you asked me earlier, what are the fears? My, it would be fear of man. Yeah. And so I have to protect myself from like indulging that sinfulness. Yeah. So yeah, that, that would be my biggest fears when I was building stuff, just make, getting it wrong. <laughs> like nobody else to copy off. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I don't want to have these. Uh, I, I spoke with Stephanie Greer the other week. And, Stay cool. and uh, I'm not wanting to project myself as being this really woke man who gets it <laughs> and make myself out to be a hero so again I'm, I'm i'm struggling and trying to encourage women and not push them when they like there's a there's a hesitancy between you don't want to push people beyond what they can manage or handle but neither do you want to but you do want to push them out of the comfort zone yeah so what what is the best way for a man to like me and you have got like a pretty good relationship, as in we can say what we think. We do. <laughs> is, it, is it always best to be? Is it just because of our personalities? What's the best for it? Or do you have to just see it person by person? <clears throat> I think you have to see it person by person. I, th yeah, I think yeah. the thing to, so yes, when you asked that question earlier about where you're frustrated and all these things, the answer is yes. Like there's not a role. But actually, I mean, as women, we need to take responsibility for this as well. Yeah. So the trouble is, our elders, and I've seen this in many churches all over the place, they continually ask their women to do stuff and they say no. Yeah. And for lots of reasons, and some of it really justifiable. Like, I mean, if you've got young kids, like, um, if, like you've, you're working and you've got young kids, you might not feel like you've got the gift. And there's all these things, reasons for saying no. But I mean, if God has saved us for a purpose and we are active members in their congregations, there's always something that we can do, mm -hmm. even if it's, I mean, even if it's the smallest thing. So like this, we would, <clears throat> I would find that in the very beginning, when we go places, women are invited to participate and they, they, they like, they don't. Mm -hmm. and so we would challenge ours. It's different. I mean, they, you would say to them, like, boot up or shut up. Like, I mean, we've got no right to moan if you're continually asked. Yeah. You continually say no. Um, but I think that, like, being understanding about how and practical and the realities of how much they can serve, that's a different thing. Mm. But, like, which is why when we were encouraging our, our, our ladies with one-to-one, -one, like, they don't have to take on 15 women. But every single woman in our congregation can take on one woman and, and, and be really intentional in her life well. And if they've not got space for one woman, then there's something going on with their lives. 
like there's there's no there's there's balance that 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 needs to be reflected on because everybody like no matter who they are we've got space for one person in our life mm. like one person and so it's that reality of sometimes that when I ask women it wasn't that they were even when they were saying no <clears throat> it was it's I always see that as the beginning of negotiation. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, I mean what I mean is sometimes if you find out why they're saying no it's really easy to overcome and it might be that they don't understand what's being asked or they need to be trained in that role or they're not confident those are things that can be worked through mm. um but yeah I think part of yeah I think it's difficult because I think it's a two-way thing yeah yeah, yeah that again humility and uh, putting Jesus before preference again, isn't it? Yes. I think, and, and, and what's right. But uh, Chaba, it's been fantastic uh, catching up. It's been awesome. Uh, we'll have to meet again shortly and, and and plug this book that we're planning on writing. Uh, we'll, have to actually, we'll have to meet and discuss how we're going to write it first as well, won't we? I need to finish the proposal first. <laughs> Once we've done the proposal, then you can get to write it. Yeah, yeah. I was laughing at you. You're like, oh, I've seen the chapter headers. Let's start writing now. Like, what? <laughs> it was because I had a I had a week of of uh, a quiet week. I thought if I start now, I know it's not getting done for another five years unless I start. Well, do you know what? When we started that, you'll love a choice. There'll be a deadline. Yeah, yeah. Only six chapters you've got right. Just <laughs> oh, awesome, uh, Sharon. Thanks very much for joining me on the In Context Podcast. See you soon. Take care.